told pastor he engaged in some very dangerous high-risk behavior in the bulletin. He gave a preacher a, a starting time, but no ending time. <laughs> so, for, so for Bible class, we have a 9.30 starting time, of course, which isn't going to happen, but we don't have an end time. So we'll kind of have to feel our way here a little bit. I'll maybe end, aim for, what time is it now? I'll aim for a little short today, maybe for 10.30 or so, huh? And then if we're at a good starting, breaking point with coins, that's maybe what we'll do. And then generally, I think, we'll go about 45 minutes from when we start. And if somebody has a picnic they have to get or something, does that sound like a working plan? And we'll kind of go from there. So think about it a little bit and we'll look at it next week. What we're going to do as we continue now, we're going to talk about some more lost places today. And the main reason is not that you remember where the lost places are, but what you learn about the Bible and also especially about how people criticize the Bible, but how these points can be defended. So I'm just going to mention a couple places a little bit. I'm briefly going to talk about the term the Jews because people bring that up a lot because they think it will make people anti-Semitic or something like that. And then we'll talk a little bit about, we'll gradually get to coins. And next week, maybe we'll have to finish the coins next week. Next week we'll aim for coins, musical instruments, and houses. I think that's about as far as we go. Then we want to do towns and fortifications and water systems. I think that will take us three weeks to get that far. We'll see whether we need some more and different stuff for the fourth week or whatever the case may be. So that's sort of the direction we're heading as we continue on. I just want to say quickly something about the chariots and charioteers. We talked about that before. Uh, you can't really see it because it's a little blurry, but you can see the pictures. And remember I told you they didn't really ride horses in battle until probably 500 BC. Alexander was the first guy that really did a lot with it, 300. And in this picture, which is 2,500 years old, so it's a little blurry. You see the guy's got no stirrups, and he's got no pommel. He's, he's like riding side saddle almost on a blanket. So you can understand if, if this was the way the knights of old did in the Middle Ages, all the jousting would be very short because <coughs> they'd both be on the ground on the first time already. And then Alexander, who's by the one blue arrow, and then the... The Persian king, he still thinks he's at a parade and he's riding a chariot. Alexander is riding on a horse. Here you can see just a little bit better. Incidentally, if you go to London and you go there to see all the Shakespeare stuff and that, go to the British Museum because there's really a lot of good stuff from like the Assyrians and Babylonians. The British stole, sorry for any British, British people here, the British stole more stuff from more countries than any other race known to mankind. <laughs> And so in the museum in London, at least it's safe there compared to where it would be in some other places. But there's really lots of stuff there for you to see. Here again, you see the guys. This picture, of course, is much later. Alexander, we know much less about Alexander than we do the Bible. In other words, all the stories about Alexander are well after his lifetime. I mentioned the Hittites and the Nations people uh, make a mistake and they interpret the Bible wrong, and then when the Bible doesn't agree with history, they blame the Bible. So the Hittites never called themselves Hittites. That was just a bongo by the historians. I just want to comment briefly on the Jews. It gives you one other example of the kind of issues that can arise. 
In John's Gospel, he refers to the Jews very often. You remember the difference between John's Gospel and the other three. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called synoptics. That means they cover basically the same stuff. Sometimes their words are very similar. Each one has a few things, the other one doesn't. John is very different. He wrote almost 50 years after the other Gospels. And he writes especially about Jesus' conflicts with the Jews because of his claim to be the Son of God. And so quite often it will say the Jews opposed Jesus. When I'm talking about it. The term is used neutrally many places. It just means the Jewish people. It originally was the name of only one tribe, the Judeans. So from about 400 on, they weren't called Israelites very often, except among themselves, they were called Jews. And so people are afraid, well, with all that's happened with the um, so-called Jewish um, hatred and stuff like that. Incidentally, the word anti-Semitic, I don't know who chose it, but it was a really dumb choice. But now we have to to live with it. So they often use anti-Semitic for hostility to Jews. Why is that a really dumb term? The Syrians are Semites. The Arabs are Semites. The Iraqis are Semites. Everybody in the Middle East is Semites except the Egyptians and the Iranians. (laughs) Semitic languages are Syrian, Babylonian, Hebrew, Canaanite, Moabite. So I don't know why they chose that particularly, particular one, because it's, it's far too vague a term. But anyway, you know it's the standard term. So sometimes they say it will encourage people to be anti-Semitic if it says the Jews did this or that. They would say the author of the Gospel of John was anti-Semitic. Why is that already a pretty shaky starting point? He was Jewish, right, he was Jewish. Yeah, Arabic is a Semitic language, yeah, yeah, yeah. Some of the Arabs are descendants of Hagar. Not all of them, but some of them are descendants of Hagar. And these countries today, of course, are all mixed race. But the main Semitic language besides, that's still used besides Hebrew is Arabic. So Arabic is considered a more archaic Semitic language. So John himself starts out in chapter 1, and he says, The tragedy of Jesus' coming is he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. So that's why he said what the tragedy was. And when Jesus, when he was before Pilate, he said, The people who have delivered me to you, Caiaphas and them, they, they should know better. They have the, the greater sin. He didn't say, Pilate, you're not guilty, don't worry. He said, they have the greater sin. And so the better thing to do rather than try to rewrite the Bible is to explain in its context. So Jews is used of believers. It's used of those who weren't believers. All the apostles were Jews. All the gospel writers, except possibly Luke. Luke may have been a Gentile. All of them were Jewish. And so there's nothing anti-Semitic about it, and it was purely, it was their dispute against Jesus. It was, there was nothing ethnic about it at all, or nothing racial about it at all, because all of the people were the same race. And wherever Paul went, who were the people that incited, almost always, who incited the persecutions against Paul? It was almost always the synagogue leaders. It was almost always the synagogue leaders. So we should be sensitive to it, and people uh, need to be aware of it. 
Some years ago, I was at a debate at the Archaeology Society. It was about Gibson's movie, The Passion of the Christ. And of course, all our Jewish members were very concerned this would be anti-Semitic, you know. And the big battles were between the liberal Catholics and the conservative Catholics. One of the conservative Catholics there, he did the Aramaic for Gibson in that movie, and the liberal Catholic was yelling, and why could you work for that terrible man? He's a terrible Catholic, how can you work for him? And the priest said, he pays fairly handsomely. <laughs> and so it kind of went, it went downhill from there. And so then I, I said the theme of the movie was Isaiah. At the beginning it says, the Lord laid up him the iniquity of us all. No, the liberal Catholic, he was horrified. No, no, you thought that was the theme of the movie? No, no, that wasn't the theme of the movie. The theme of the movie was when Mary took Jesus' blood and put it on herself and said, I make all things new. And she shared in Jesus' bloodshed. That was the scene of the mo- theme of the movie. So everybody saw it in their own way. And so I, I made the comment, when Christians see that, they don't think against the Jews. The point for them is Isaiah 53. The Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. There's, it's not a lesser thing. And then a very, an old, very respected Jewish scholar, he raised his hand and he said, if I understand what you're saying, you're saying to us that the movie shows us that a holy God cannot simply overlook sin and tolerate sinners in his presence. Is that, is that what you're saying? And I said, yes. He said, then you and I are in complete agreement on that. He said, every Orthodox Jew would agree with that. A holy God cannot allow sinners in his presence. Tragically, what he didn't see was the solution. So he agreed with the problem. A holy God cannot tolerate sin. He didn't fully understand the solution. So you can look at some of these passages if you want to. And we say the best thing to do is to explain the Bible, not to try to edit it. So any comments about that? Okay, you can give me about a 10-15, Irene. About a 10-15. So I'm going to talk to about a couple more lost places. Then we want to talk about the coins that have the most explanation to a story in the Bible. Then we'll do musical instruments after that. Both of those will probably be next week. For sure, we won't finish coins. This is going to be really exciting, everybody. This is our most popular view on our website, AI. The most popular of all the articles that I put on there, this is the most popular. You know why? No, it's artificial intelligence. AI. So there's some poor guy in India, you know, he's trying to find out about artificial intelligence and he ends up on our Bible website. And hopefully he'll, he'll look a little more and say, what's this weird thing, you know, and look, or, look around a little bit. So AI is number one in hits on our website. And it's kind of an interesting site. We don't know it quite as well. Remember, this is the place they tried to capture after Jericho. Jericho was down the mountains. They're trying to cut the land in half. Joshua wants to cut it in half. So they're going to go up to Ai. Remember, they failed because Achan had stolen stuff, kept stuff from Jericho. And this is maybe one of the leading archaeological controversies. At Jericho, the first excavators there said, oh, there's the walls, and they fell down. We can't prove Joshua did it at his time, but we can't prove whether 
It was an earthquake that was natural, but the walls fell down. Then an unbelieving British archaeologist went there and said, there were no walls there from the time of Joshua, so the Bible story cannot possibly be true. Well, the first thing, she was looking at the wrong time. She was looking at 1200, and the Bible says Joshua was 1400. So everybody agrees this is Jericho, but they don't agree that there's anything there. So then they were going to go up and look at Ai up in the hills, which they tried to take. And sure enough, some of her protégés went, went there and said, there was no city at Ai at the time of Joshua. And somebody said, well, maybe you're not on the right hill. There's three hills close together. So they said, we'll have to look at another hill. But there's a very important lesson in this. She went there hoping to prove the Bible wrong, and lo and behold, she found the evidence that did it. We have to be careful, though, too, when people believe the Bible. Anytime you know what your conclusion is before you even gather the data, and you can be selective in data, there's a great danger that anytime you know what you want the conclusion to be, that lo and behold, it is going to be. So they went to find another AI which close by. Didn't work. There wasn't stuff there. Then they went to a third place, and there was stuff there. And so they said the site may have moved, and maybe it's a matter of finding the right AI. I don't think there's definitive proof for it yet. So you know the story. I just reviewed it for you. They're looking for AI, and Bethel has to be nearby. And lo and behold, the unbelieving archaeologists found what they wanted. The believing archaeologists found what they wanted. So we have to actually look at the evidence. So there's two places called Baiton and Bira. One of them has to be Bethel. Baiton kind of sounds like the way things change into Arabic. Bethel means the house of God. Bethel, of course, was not a city. What was it? It was a place where Jacob laid on the ground and had this vision. And then later, the unbelieving kings of the north, they worshiped golden calves so they wouldn't have to go to Jerusalem. And it was where they had the golden calf. Probably not in the city, but out in the countryside. So you have Bethel and you have Beth Aven. Bethel means house of God. Beth Aven means worthless house. That was their name for where the idol had been put. And so does this place work? Kirbet Nisia did not work. And so they gave up on that. Sites do move. Maybe the spring, uh, there's a good big hill here and the Spring over here isn't quite as good, or they need a little bigger hill, so they move over here. A good example is Jericho. And it, it's a good example of don't get too excited when somebody says the Bible contradicts itself. In one gospel, when Jesus meets a, a blind man, when he meets Zacchaeus there, one gospel says he was leaving Jericho. And the other gospel said he was coming to Jericho, which is right. Well, they both are because there were two Jerichos. There was the old Jericho where the oasis was, that's the tell of Jericho. And Herod built his big establishment, his winter resort, where he spent the winter and all his buddies came down there. His brother-in-law, who was a political rival of him, a Hasmonean, Herod was heartbroken. His brother-in-law, who was his rival, came down and to spend the winter with him. And he accidentally drowned in Herod's pool. The Herod's guards, they, they pool shenanigans and playful pool conduct, a little got out of hand in Herod's 
brother-in-law accidentally drowned. Herod, of course, was grief-stricken and gave him a wonderful funeral and a wonderful set-off. So there, there can be moving, and Jericho is one example of places that move. So what do we have to do? So et tal, I don't know if you can read the letters back there, that's the unbelieving Jericho, I'll call it that. I mean, AI, they say there's nothing there. Kirbet al-Makir is the one that they're being investigating now. Difficult because this is right in the West Bank. So it's a very touchy area. So what do we need to find AI? Well, it has to be the pass that goes up from Jericho. AI has to be up blocking that pass. Well, there's several sites there. So all of these sites fit that criteria. What does it have to have? There has to be a high ridge to the north. Because Joshua took the main army, and he was up commanding the battlefield from up on the ridge to the north, the top ridge here. Can you read Jebel, Abu Amar? Can you read that? Jebel is a word for mountain. Kirbet means ruins. Those are so many places. Wadi means a valley that has water in part of the year. There has to be a deep valley west of the city. Because Joshua sent some ambush guys, a big, big, big contingent of ambush guys, to be in, hidden in that valley west of the city. The people of Ai, they assumed, were going to chase them as they had done twice before. And then these guys would come up and torch the city, and they'd be caught between the two armies. Whoops, double hit. This is from the north. The arrow that points that way goes toward Bethel. The arrow pointing down is the site that they believe is AI now. And the arrow pointing up is the valley, hidden valley west of the city. So you can see as far as the geography, I don't think we've taken, we can say they proved the archaeology yet, but the geography is perfect, isn't it? There's a ridge to the north. There's stuff there from the right time. There's no sign that says AI city limits. You don't have that. And so then, very good place for the ambush to be, completely out of sight from the city. And Joshua, Joshua's kind of standing kind of where we are on the ridge. And he's, he's like the field commander. He wants to have the vision of the whole thing. And he would give signals like with his spear, you know, attack, chase him, withdraw, whatever. Well, I don't know that Joshua ever told him to withdraw. They sometimes did. So I think the main lesson here is how people have to be careful when they do research that they haven't, it doesn't mean nobody should go and do something to try to show the Bible is correct about this, but it means there's a danger. You have to be very careful and very aware of it. Anytime you know how you want a poll to come out. What do they do when they want to know what the answer to the poll is? They word it in a certain way. And they could, you know, just word the poll slightly different. And you can get the results different. So you have to be very, very careful. And that's as true of people that believe the Bible just as well as those who do not believe the Bible. So anything about AI? Did you yourself go on any archaeological digs? Did I? She asked if I did an archaeological digs. Irene asked me, but I wonder if they recognize you. Last week when we had the skeleton laying there and there was a guy digging up the skeleton, that was a younger version of me. <laughs> yeah, that was me. So the picture 
of the skeleton Delilah lady, the one, dig, the one digging her up was me. So I've been, I've been at three different sites. I told you our seminary has an excellent policy. They, unfortunately, they don't follow it anymore. But when we did it, you know, it's really hot in Israel in the summer. We had three excavations. All of them were on the Mediterranean beaches. So we had a good policy. Only excavate on the beach, not in the desert. So I recommend that to you if you go on a site. Find out if it's on the beach or if it's in the desert and pick the one that is not in the desert. Yeah, so I went once when I was still a pastor in Pennsylvania. And of course, when we lived there for the time, we visited many sites. I worked at one site, and Irene and Paul stayed. Well, you went down to Cheryl sometime, but they kind of stayed in Jerusalem. So that skeleton was probably about the most interesting thing I found. It was the first day they sent me to the cemetery. All the graves had been looted. And that was the first one that wasn't looted. And it was a younger lady. <clears throat> okay, anything else about that? So all of the sites we're talking about, I've never been at AI because that's, it's in a pretty sensitive area of the West Bank. So they have to keep on good terms with the Arab towns around there. Okay, any more about AI? So artificial intelligence, you'll have to look somewhere else for that. If you want to know how good artificial intelligence really is, all you have to do is listen to, you know, you go online and there's these, there's these artificial intelligence people on there taking care of your insurance claims or something like that. So my main fear of artificial intelligence, it will tell me to drive my car into the lake or fly my airplane into a mountain or something. It doesn't seem yet that it's ready to take over the world and outthink us. It's, it, you can see that it can't actually think, can it? It's got all these branches. When it hits the end of a branch, it can't. So we'll see what the future brings. Bethsaida, sometimes confused with Bethesda. Promotion. You have to come back in two weeks if you want to see Bethesda. Bethesda is the pool at Jerusalem. A very, a very interesting pool. Bethsaida, so many words start with Beth because Beth always means house. And it means house of something. Like Bethsaida means where you catch stuff, presumably fish. But if you can catch other stuff. Bethesda, house of mercy. So there's a guy, he actually is in Nebraska. He's excavated a site just north of the Sea of Galilee, which he is quite convinced is Bethsaida. So what's the problem with his site? It's a very well-established city. Bethsaida has to be a fishing village at the northeast corner of the Sea of Galilee. Some of the apostles who were fishermen lived there, and they also worked out of Capernaum. So one has said Etel. The reason so many places are called Etel, Tel means ruins. So the Hebrew word is 1L, Arabic word is 2L. But Etel is more than a mile from the shore. You can go down the Jordan River. So if you were a fisherman, would you have your fish processing station a mile from the shore? Doesn't seem very likely. Others believe is that El Araj. El is the Arabic word for the. That's why all these words start with El. El Araj on the present shore of the sea. I'm going to argue they might, may both be right. Well, how can that be that they're both right? The Jordan is not exactly the Nile. It's not exactly the Mississippi. But rivers coming out of mountains like that that carry a lot of winter runoff, they create deltas, you know, where the stuff accumulates. 
So the shore is always moving out. It may be that this city was once on the sea, or they maybe wanted to go up the river, so if there were storms, they could beach their boats in the river. We can't tell exactly how much the delta has moved. Now, why would I say that it could be both places? Because if you lived and had your residence in the one a mile inland, which is on a nice hill overlooking the sea and everything, you might live there, but when you bring all your fish in to process them, to lay them out to dry, to wash your nets, you probably wouldn't go up the river. It's a 10. You probably wouldn't go up the river. You probably would do it on the shore. If you're going to send them by boat over to Tiberias or something. So it may well be there's a lot of cities like this where the harbor is one place and the city is not right on the shore. So maybe they're both right in a certain sense of the term. So this is the Jordan Delta. Here's the lake. You see the green up on top? They can't actually prove that scientifically. This, this slide is just arguing that the shore could have moved out further. And the shore, the, the Bethsaida Inland, called Julia after one of the royal family of Rome, could have moved out. Incidentally, the lake, sea of, lake of Galilee is actually a lake, not a sea. It's a freshwater lake. Like Lake Winnebago, is called Kinneret. And maybe it would be better if you could see the whole sea. Kinneret, if you come back in two weeks, no, next week we'll talk about Kinnors, that's a musical instrument. It's a harp. So Kinneret would mean harp lake. Harp lake. Sounds plausible. Anyway, so that's one view of it. You see the Jordan, it's all swampy and flat, farther up by the mountains, and then it runs through a canyon. And so can you see the blue dots? Are they visible to you from there? See, the one blue dot, which is on the bottom, is the one inland, and then another blue dot is the other one. The yellow dot, that's where the, there seems to be a fish camp on the sea. So I said it's plausible that both of these places are Bethsaida in one sense of the term or the other. Rome's port was not in Rome. Athens' port was not in Athens. Antioch's port was not in Antioch. Generally, the city tended to be a little bit up the river. They could take shelter there, but the harbor was down on the sea. So this is a case, too, where the evidence is just a matter of looking at it carefully. I don't know why it skipped so much there. This man named Colin Jenkins, I think he may be deceased now, I'm not sure. He loved to take pictures in Israel. Uh, Farrell Jenkins, I mean. This picture is from 2015. You can see the strut of the plane there, and he's just showing what the delta of the Jordan looks like. So Farrell Jenkins um, posts really lots of nice geography pictures. I think he lets you download them for free, but he says you can't sell them. Oh, if he has taken them. It runs from Mount Hermon in the north, the highest mountain in Israel, and it runs through the Dead Sea. That's, that's, that's yeah. It, so it goes through the Sea of Galilee. There's the Jordan above the Sea of Galilee. 
just like some of our rivers, they go through lakes created by dams. And then the lake comes out of the lake at the other end. And it's very, very windy going down. They take so much of the water out now for irrigation that the Dead Sea, that's why it's drying up. So the Jordan had lots and lots of water in the spring when Israel crossed. In the summer, almost nowhere is it as wide as this room. I mean, you can't quite go by the ancient. Uh, where they baptize people, it's maybe two-thirds. Well, maybe it's a side, right, as wide as this room. So it's not a big river. That's why Naaman said, that crummy river, we got a whole lot of better rivers up in uh, Syria. Why should I go take a dip in that crummy river? Okay, anything about Bethsaida? Okay, another one from the Gospels. Cana, famous for the wedding at Cana in John. So Cana, this is a nice church at Cana. So if you want to go to the exact spot where Jesus turned water into wine, you can go to this church. They'll sell you some nice souvenirs and icons and stuff. And this church is on the main road between Nazareth and Capernaum. And so this is supposedly Cana. So pilgrims stop at this Catholic church. You can buy some nice, I'd call them souvenirs. They'd probably say icons. And it's owned by the Franciscan fathers. Most of these churches in Galilee are owned by some order of the Catholic church. Some of them, uh, Capernaum is, most of them are. The Beatitude Hill is. And so... Others said, no, that's not Cana at all. Cana's way at the other side of the valley, five miles off the road. So you got to pick between these two Canas. So you are all probably good business people here. If you want to sell people Cana souvenirs, <coughs> pilgrims that are going from Nazareth to Capernaum, are you going to build your place on the highway or five miles out in the sticks <laughs> on the highway? So there's a little reason to be somewhat suspicious about that. They're still fighting over whether both sites could possibly be. And so sometimes people may have a certain interest, just like in Jerusalem. But we've got the real site of the Last Supper. We've got the real site of the Last Supper. So this is the church. You see there's one. This doesn't show the roads, but you can see if you go from Nazareth to the Sea of Galilee, down the pass there, you go right through this. It's the main highway. The other one is way across the valley out in the sticks. It's a small village-type place. I think that's more likely the real Cana. And I think the next picture will show you that a little bit better. This is view from the number two Cana. The number other Cana is way on the other side of the valley. You see how the houses go along the bottom of the hill? Remember, farmers did not live on their farms. Too dangerous. They all lived in the village. Then they went out to their fields. Are you going to build your village out in the middle of the field? <laughs> no, in the good, good farmland? No, you're going to build your village at the bottom of the hill for two reasons. More springs there. You can always run up the hill if you have to. And you're not taking up your cropland. This is a very good illustration for Jesus' ministry. Galilee has, it's a little bit like the Appalachians. They have all these ridges that run parallel to each other. Jesus would climb up one ridge, down the ridge, and he'd visit the villages along the shore there. 
edge, not really sure. Then you go across the valley. There'd be another set of villages on the other side of the valley. When he was done with that, climb the hill again. Not really big climbs, 1,200 feet though, maybe. Climb another hill, go down, do the same thing. Then go to some other valley. So you can picture Jesus coming over the mountain, visiting the villages there, going across the plateau and coming out on the other side. So I think this is probably the real Cana. Okay, one more place, Gergesa. This shows us how people have to be careful in their translation and in their presuppositions. The Bible, of course, had to be copied by hand. What is the identity of Gergesa? Well, I think it's got to be this one down here. See Gergesa? It's, it's far away from Capernaum. Is it quarter after? What is it? Okay, I'll just finish this. I'll just, fi- I'll just finish this. We won't start the coins. So Gergesa. So you think, what could be simpler? Well, the guys that copied the Bible in Greek, some of them wrote down Gadara. Some of them wrote Gerasa. And some wrote Gergesa, which is Kursi. What's the problem? Gadara is five miles from the sea. Remember what happened there? The pigs all went over the cliff when Jesus drove them out. So it's got to be a cliff by the sea. Gadara is five miles from the sea. Gerasa is 30 miles from the sea, and its territory doesn't even touch the sea. There was a thing called Decapolis, the ten cities. Gadara is in the orange, and its territory touches the sea, but way in the south. Gergesa is in the pink, 30 miles from the sea. It's got to be by hippos. It's got to be on the shore of the sea. So here I think you say different copies in Greek have different things, but you have to say it can't be 30 miles away from the sea. The pigs didn't run 30 miles and go over the cliff. It's not like they even ran five miles and went over the cliff. So it has to be at this Kersey. This is a, the Gergesa, the far site, a nice Roman site. At, and if at Kiersey, there is a church, and the picture is the pigs going over the cliff. So what you can say, at least the people that built the first churches thought that this is where that happened. That's why they built the church there. So it's on the east shore of the sea. So things in the Bible, I think we won't start coins. It's 1030, is it? So we probably won't start coins. Hopefully we'll have a better start. I'm going to talk just about the coins that really tell stories of the Bible. I'll bring this along where you can, these are fake, of course. I have some real ones of some of them. And the the principal coins, you'll be able to look at both sides of them close up. All the pictures will be quite big. So we're going to talk about the widow's mite. And then where Jesus said, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. And then... What kind of money did Judas get? Those are the three things we're going to talk about under coins. And then we'll start moving on to music. So I'll bring this along with me. So next week, I think we'll get coins. We're not going to be able to talk about music, just musical instruments, not all the entire music. And then we'll start houses. Those will probably be the three points we get. And so if you come next week, you'll see what the widow's mites look like. 
You'll see one modus mite made by Pilate. You'll see the tri it's called the tribute penny. It was worth a lot more than a penny. <coughs> they all, all of these have interesting stories. You'll see the shackle of Tyre that very likely is what Judas got because this was the coin in the temple treasury and they paid Judas from the treasury. So perhaps we should <coughs> conclude. And um, I'll ask you at the start, but I think in general, we'll see when we start and we'll maybe try to run like 45 minutes from the start and if somebody's got to get to a family picnic or something, they watch the first two and they leave, that's, that's fine. Does that sound like a plan? So we'll try to start you know, 10 minutes or so after we get out, and you can reload your coffee and whatever, and then we'll come in and we'll try to, we won't necessarily be right. See, you've given me this license of no stopping time, but I'll, I'll try to self-discipline self a little bit. We'll kind of always aim for like a 10.30 conclusion. If we're right in the middle of something and we need two more minutes, you know, we might do it. We're at a good stopping point. We might stop two minutes early. Does that sound feasible? Okay, we'll close with the prayer then. We thank you, Lord, for all you do, have done to bring the gospel to us and help us understand the great significance of the events that happened at all these places. What is important is not so much the places, but what happened there. We ask you also to watch over God's chosen people, Israel, of which so many have rejected him. And the gospel still is for them, and so help us as Paul tells us in Romans to share the gospel with them because the door is still open. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Summer. Most each season is sort of contained, so if you're going on vacation.